and open up your Bibles to Romans chapter 12. We're going to have a Bible reading now from Romans 12, 9 to 13. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. means it's on mute. There we go. How's that? Green light. So there was this uh, bloke in the 1800s who was absolutely in love with this lady and he, he was a poet and uh, when he was 38 he lost the love of his life and uh, then two years later he died and this, there was a poem published that came out two days after he died and so this is a line about a love that he had for this particular lady. He said, we loved with a love that was more than love. So he's about, you know, a love that he'd never experienced anywhere else in the world that was a unique, distinct love, one-of-a-kind love, unrepeatable. He felt it through his whole being, and he'd never felt it anywhere else. And I take that phrase as a good description of what it's like to be loved by Jesus Christ. This is the Christian experience of Christ. Jesus loves with a love that is more than love, more than the loves that we know around us, that we've felt anywhere else, more pure, more genuine than any love we've ever received, even through our own families. So love is really at the core of Christian living. And Jesus said that if you, the whole world will know that you're my followers if you love as I've loved you. And so this is a love that ought to stand out. But all over the world, people value love. You know, there's, I mean, name someone who doesn't think love's better than hate. Everyone knows love's a virtue. We all want love. We want to be loved. We want to love others. So how is a Christian going to stand out? How is a Christian going to be distinctive? We'll only stand out if we love with a love that's like Christ's love. Love is not unique to Christianity. And if people look at our lives and see the same love as everywhere else, then they're not seeing that Christ-like love. A faithful Christian loves, and a great church loves with a love that is more than love. So if I was uh, looking for a church, it's January, people are moving around, people are looking for churches. If I was looking for a church that I was going to settle into, that was marked as a Christian church, I wouldn't just be listening to the preaching to figure out if it's faithful to the Bible. I'd be wanting to see that people are living out that lifestyle of love through the leadership, through the community. Is it a place of love? If I was uh, kicking off work in, you know, or, or uni or whatever it is that you've got going this year for me, I was an engineer before being a minister, and if I was gearing up for a new year of re-entry into the workplace, I'd be wanting to go into this year asking myself, what would it look like to be 
recognized for having a distinctive and habitual love in the workplace. And last week we heard from Tim who was talking about how a great church serves. So if you've got a role in the life of the church or an informal place, wherever you fit in church life, what would it look like to build your service out of a deep foundation of love? If you're leading a team, what would it look like to instill a, a shape of love into that team rather than just being a functional team. Because if I speak in the language of angels and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, but I do not have love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal, we may remember from the Bible in 1 Corinthians 13. So let's approach this topic as really central to Christianity, as you know, central to the way of a Christian, and let's lead towards this higher love that Christ is calling us. So let's work through Romans, this chapter 12. And uh, the outline for today is just, we're just going to punch through it verse by verse. Um, We'll cover some more in detail, but just firstly, love must be sincere. Sincere. It doesn't say it has to be, you know, beautifully worded and perfectly trendy and all these things. It has to be sincere. It doesn't have to be, uh, it, well, we don't want it to be fake. We don't want it to be plastic. It's deeper than the smiles and the greetings that you give at the door. It's something that goes deeper and it's broader and it comes deep from within the gut of a person and it lasts longer and it goes through more than our friends because everyone in the, in the world has some amount of kindness to give to the people that are close to them, their, their best friends. And we can all work up that, kind of ki- that, that kindness and good attitude towards the few people around us. But the Christian love goes through family, it goes through church, it goes through work, university, school. It goes through our sports clubs, it goes through those community groups we're part of. And then even in the rest of Romans, after the passage we're looking at tonight, it extends to people that hate you. It extends to people that want to harm you. And, G- and there's a whole section in Romans about how to love people that don't love you. So there's something deeper and more broad about this love. But that's, that's not all. The passage goes on to talk about sincere love having to do with good and evil. So we read on. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. This whole paragraph is all connected to talking about love. In my Bible, there's a heading, love in action. I don't know what you've got in yours, but there's this kind of, this is all describing love because when it was written in the original language in the, in the ancient Greek, this is one sentence. The first bit kind of is, is almost like heading us through this and we, we go through like a bouncing staccato of lots of points related to the top. So when it talks about hate as opposed to love, it's all connected. Love is to hate what's evil and cling to what is good. So uh, sincere love clings to what's good. So it's not, just, it's not just about kind of giving people what their love language seeks. You know, if you've ever heard of the love languages and the five different types of love languages, there's this great book that we use to understand people and for, us, for them to understand how we appreciate love. We can seek to love people according to all of the different ways they seek to be loved. We can seek to love people according to all of the ways that we think that we can love. Uh, But what's foundational even beneath that 
is that love actually has to do with good and evil. And so people can give you exactly what you want at just the right time and it might not be loving because it might not be good for you. It often is because our intuitions are seeking kindness and love. But then again, we also are tempted by some weird and wonderful things. The Bible speaks about temptation and kind of disordered loves. We like funny things. Or we like good things, but we like them too much. So just to give you an example from the shopping centre, I don't know how much you get out to Westfield or you head around the shopping centres looking for stuff, but here's an example from a shopping centre. This is a philosopher, James K. Smith from Canada, and he, said, he talks about the shopping centre or the mall. The mall is a religious site. Have you walked in and seen the you know, huge arch ceilings, like cathedral ceilings, they call them? The, the mall's a religious site. It's very much interested in what you love. Victoria's secret is that she's actually after your heart. The mall and the market, they inscribe in us a sense that something's wrong with us, that something's broken by holding up for us the ideals of which we fall short. He goes on to talk about the mall as redemption. So he says, the mall holds out consumption as redemption in two senses. In one sense, the shopping itself is construed as a kind of therapy, a healing activity, a way of dealing with the sadness and frustrations of our broken world. It feels good to go shopping. And in another uh, another sense, the second one, the goal of shopping is the acquisition of goods and the enjoyment of services that try to address what's wrong with us. Our pear-shaped figure, our pimply face, our drab, outdated wardrobe, our rusting old car, and so on. So it's all the clothes, all the toys, all those different things that are wants that turn into needs. And the shopping centre that said, you need this, the next day says, that was so five minutes ago. You get sucked in, drawn into these loves, and you pursue them with so much energy, clothes, toys, food and drink, and panelled houses. The aspiration as we're looking to the future, a lot of us, we're wanting to get the right home. We've got all these things that we pursue We've got to keep in mind that Jesus didn't have a fancy home with a beautiful wine collection. He didn't even have a home. You know, he said, Foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. And he went from house to house with hospitality of people that were looking after him kindly. But he really challenges our desires and what we think is what we need and what's most important. He takes our loves and turns them in new directions and he helps us realise that we don't always love what we ought to love and sometimes we love too much the things that we ought not to love. And so then when we get together in church and we try and push each other on to be countercultural, we find ourselves confessing our weakness and our failures and coming to God. Here's a prayer that's traditional through the Anglican church. Almighty and most merciful Father, we have strayed from your ways like lost sheep We followed too much the devices and desires of our own hearts. We follow our hearts. We have all these loves. We chase them. We need to seek God's forgiveness for that. We've become like lost sheep. But sincere love is not this. Sincere love clings to what is good and hates what is evil. It's on a foundation of right and wrong. And it's about doing what's good for another person, about giving what people need most. And so the person who truly loves us isn't the one who affirms you at every turn. It's not the person that piles you up with gifts. It's actually the person who stands alongside you, planted like a tree, who's 
living a godly life, who speaks with wisdom and integrity, who's there alongside you to serve you in ways that are according to your greatest needs and habitually walks with godliness and love. Love must be sincere, hate what is evil, cling to what is good. Verse 10, be devoted to one another in love. How devoted are you to each other? How devoted are we to the community? When it says be devoted to one another, it's talking to the Roman church here, and this is the same message for us today as a church community. Be devoted to one another. Be devoted with space and time for each other. Jesus didn't design church to be an event that you go to. He didn't design church to be something that you watch later down the track and never engage with the community He designed church to be a household where he lives by his spirit and we are all one in Jesus Christ. It's more of a big family than it is an event that you go to. And so fellowship goes into the week. It extends so that we become one together as we be hospitable. And then on Sunday, the person you see on stage feels more like your brother or your sister or your mother or your father. So you've got to bring your household into the life of the church is that same author, James K.A. Smith. No home or family can be its own church. You can't isolate and be off as your own church. No household is a substitute for the household of God. We all need to locate our households in the household of God and to situate our families within the first family of the church. So here we are. We're going through that awkward exit as we're always trying to come out of those COVID moments, you know, Have we passed that Omicron peak? Are we able to get together more and more in person? We've talked about last week being smaller and weeks before. It's actually a real tragedy that people are prevented from being able to meet by something like this pandemic. It's changed our world and it's sad that we can't get together because God's designed us to have fellowship. And uh, as we move into the next phase, we've got to be asking ourselves, how do we build this night church community to be such a fellowship that we feel that we're deeply in each other's lives. And that relates to the final verse in the passage. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. This is bigger than going to an event, isn't it? This is all of life fellowship, being together with space and time, and especially with those in need, remembering that Jesus said when you have a meal, Don't just invite your friends and the people that you like, but go and get people who can't pay you back for what you've done. Go and get people that are outside that community and draw them in. Be hospitable. And if, of course, um, you know, a lot of us don't have our own home, it's not necessarily about having the perfect space to be routinely hospitable remembering that Jesus didn't have a home and he was hospitable. It's not just about having the perfect space with a family that's all on board or a household that's all on board. Or some of you may live in a unit alone. It's not about having the perfect space. It's a posture. It can happen at a park, in a cafe, in a hall. It can happen at someone else's home. It can happen when you go to the restaurant or to the McDonald's, wherever you go. It can happen. And, uh, you know, if you, if you think about 
the way that we gather after a church service, even as we go out, out here on, you know, in the car park and hang out there. You can get all kinds of closed groups, but a hospitable group is a group that's always like open, always thinking about that person who's just standing over there, not sure who to talk to. A hospitable group is the one that, you know, is thinking, who can I include, who can I welcome? And uh, I've loved seeing the, you know, the ministry of in, including newcomers here at Christchurch as people get together and head, head over to the village green or to the park and they, and they say, come and you know, share with us in community, spending time always looking outwardly. Uh, it may involve helping with food. It may involve you know, serving practically. It may involve washing dishes. And for those of you who have homes, surely it does include being hospitable with your home, if your household's on board, that is. Knowing that even in the first century, they had this amazing system where people like, they would come to the town, like imagine you're an Israelite, and, a, and another Israelite was traveling through, they would usually go to a central place waiting for someone to come and take them in to look after them, a total stranger. And it would be a common practice that you would offer hospitality to strangers. I was talking to someone today. He was riding his bike past me, and uh, I knew him, and we caught up and, and, and were chatting. And, you know, he's re relatively recently rekindled some aspect of faith in his life, and he's just feeling like being hospitable. So he's working in Chatswood, and he's doing deliveries. And he started uh, just making sandwiches for the homeless people in Chatswood just because he wants to give something to, to the people there. This is hospitality. It doesn't require a home. All these different aspects. I've loved uh, getting to know Paul and Beth Webb, who are our mission partners in Chester Hill on the southwest side of Sydney, fully multicultural. It's a great blessing that we can be generous with that part of Sydney, knowing that it's harder for churches there to support ministers because congregation members have less finances to be able to fund ministers to make it possible. So we partner with them. And when you go visit, I've loved going to Paul and Beth Webb's house. A few of the people in this community, in this congregation have come with me. We slept in one of their spare rooms, especially when they had twin young babies. And uh, they've got a big family. And they were just open with their home. They had meetings in their home throughout the days. And then they had communities come at night. Like there was this particular Muslim background community that would come and have a barbecue, about 20 or 30 people at their house. These are all great examples of hospitality. And as we aspire to having homes to be hospitable with, often in uh, TV, hospitality is about having the show home. Hospitality is about you know, putting on the perfect meal, cooking it beautifully. Biblical hospitality isn't about showing off. Biblical hospitality is about serving people's needs. Biblical hospitality is about being with people according to their needs, and in truth, building them up. So do you have the energy? Where do you get that kind of energy? How do you find the drive to be hospitable in that kind of way? Because uh, sometimes I just feel flat, and you know, we all feel flat. There's obvious rhythms of life where sometimes you're with lots of people and other times you need to rest. That's a 
God-given reality. That is good. But how do you find the image, uh, sorry, the energy to be that outward and sacrificially hospitable person? Well, let's look at the very center of the passage, verse 11. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. So this is the center and the engine and the driving room, this language of spiritual fervor, spirit fervor. The Holy Spirit gives us energy. And uh, the Greek word fervor is literally about hot energy or, you know, boiling emotion. Uh, It's the heat and the fire, the spiritual glow inside of the believer keeping us energized. And so there is a question, do you have this spiritual fervor? Do you have that glow within, that yearning? Because the opposite there is to be lacking in zeal. To be lacking in zeal is to be reluctant, to be holding back, to be wearied and tired. And maybe, I mean, all of us are tired at times, but to never want to act, to be slothful, to be lazy. So which one are you? Are you lacking in zeal? Or do you have that spiritual drive? What can you do if you're feeling flat? What can you do to get that drive? Because we each get there at some point, and some of those periods are prolonged. Sometimes we stay there for longer than other times. And I know when I feel flat, it's kind of like a down spiral because you feel flat, and then you look at your last week, and then you feel guilty about it. And then you feel, you know, maybe unworthy and you start to condemn yourself. You can get into this down spiral. But, and you can't lift yourself out by your own energies at that point. What we need is the gospel at that point. Because the gospel is the up spiral to our down spirals. The gospel pulls us out because it says there's no condemnation as you condemn yourself. The gospel says there's no condemnation. And the gospel says God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. It's the love of Jesus Christ given freely to us whilst we're unworthy that spirals us out. And so when you're down spiraling, the only treatment is the gospel. You can't turn to people to affirm you, to fix the feelings of inadequacy. You can't turn to pleasure to heal you. You can't turn to substance to numb your pain. And even a really long holiday won't make you feel the burning zeal for the Lord. What brings us back to that energy within is the experience of Christ's love. And if God is too far removed from our lives and we're malnourished in the awe of his grace, then that's where we feel flat. And so we come back to the same point as every sermon about Christian living, and that's that we never live up to the vision. It always excels beyond us, and our sense of failure ought to move us right back into the gospel, which lifts us up again and gives us the glow within. It renews our love. Jesus is the up spiral. The only way forward is to return to the presence of the Lord, to to rebuild from his love and to experience the deep cost of what he's given to us 
We need to spend time with the Lord, confessing our weariness, being open about our temptations, praying to the Lord, asking him to give us the endurance and encouragement of scriptures until our eyes are open again with awe to the beauty of his love, which may require holidays so that you can get away and get into the word. But in the end, it's not just a holiday that we need. It's the presence of the Lord and his love. And his love has a double impact. The first impact is a purging effect. His love drives out your guilt. His love drives out your insecurity. And his love drives out your self-condemnation. The second impact is that his love has a renewing effect. He renews your spiritual fervor. He renews your motivation. And he renews your zeal to serve. And only through his purging and his renewing will you be able to have the energy to love with a love that is more than love. So this is what it takes for us to be a healthy church. This is what it takes for us to be a great church, a strong church. A great church loves with a love that's more than love. Because Jesus loves with a love that's more than love. And when he loves us and we are experienced in his love, it gives us that spiritual glow so that we can love with a love that's more than love. What that implies is if you're a spectator to Christianity, if you've come here today without a confident faith in Jesus, if you're watching at some point, then this implies that there is a higher love that can be lived, that can be felt and can be given. And it comes from a relationship with Jesus Christ and the invitation is to come into his love to find that love that is higher than any love you've experienced elsewhere. And Christchurch, night church here, if we want to come through this COVID moment and be a great church, we need to be like Christ, which means to pull it all together for today, out of the passage. We need to be devoted to each other like a big family. We've got to have sincere hospitality for one another. We've got to flow out of Sundays into the week. We've got to get to know each other, support each other, and live in a way that clings to what is good and builds people up in the love of Christ. And we're not there yet, so may God help us to get there as he works within us.